Hey, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to episode number 30 of the John Riley Project. I don't know how you're doing. I know a lot of people are reeling from the NFL playoffs and all the controversy, but you know, today we're going to talk baseball. So this is an all-sports edition of the John Riley Project. We're going to really do a deep dive into baseball, the Padres. We'll take a look at some local sports. We're going to get into the good of the bad and the ugly. Uh, but first, um, hey, if you're um, a first-time listener or a first-time viewer, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We hope you come back. We hope you enjoy it. If you're a long-time listener, long-time viewer, one of the loyal ones that have been with me since the start, hey, we're on episode number 30. Can you believe it? And we're going to keep cranking out content. Thanks for being with me the whole time. Really appreciate your support. Um What's been going on with me lately? Well, actually, this past weekend was kind of an unusual one. I was I was home alone. You know, it's like Macaulay Culkin. Um, you know, the kids are back in college. My beautiful wife went out for the weekend with some of her high or her college friends, and so I was on my own. And I was been working on the podcast, and and I went on a little boondoggle out to the desert, out to Ocotillo Wells, and I saw some of the off roaders out there, and just did some exploring on my own. That was a lot of fun. And um, what else? Um, I don't know. I'm just getting fired up about baseball. Padre baseball is getting going. Um, you know, New Mexico Lobo baseball is going to be starting in less than a month. Can you believe it? So that's my son Trevor's on that team. I'm really looking forward to seeing him and his new teammates play. Um, Oh, and then what else? The other weird thing was, um, I guess it was Sunday night. They had that, um, what was it, a super blood wolf moon that was out. And so um, right around the peak time of that that red moon was around nine o'clock. So um, I dragged the beautiful wife out with me and we were driving around Poway in our car, looking out the window. We couldn't see it. I think it was covered by the clouds. And then I get home and I, you know, kind of settle into my evening loungewear, which, you know, those are Costco pajamas. When I settle into my evening loungewear and I look on Facebook and my friend Pat Johnson's taking pictures of it. And he lives, I don't know, like a quarter of a mile away from me. And I'm like, Pat, how'd you find it? He says, oh, it was hidden behind the clouds. It just peeked out. So we missed it. But pretty neat, pretty neat stuff. So we're going to get into the Padres and that article that came out um, from Kevin Acey at the San Diego Union Tribune talking about Padre finances and the reaction in the community. So we're going to do a deep dive on that. But first, I want to put this out there. Um, for those of you that are loyal listeners, I know some of you follow me on my Facebook page, uh, John Riley Project, and there's some conversation there. I usually will you know, post you know, some of these episodes. I'll post um, you know, other topics, maybe some memes or some inspirational quotes. I enjoy doing that. But I've set up a separate Facebook group that is an invitation-only group. You actually, you have to go there and request permission to join. And it's called the John Riley Project Insiders Group. And there, I have all kinds of bonus content. Um, so just over the weekend, I had some content of me over at a BMX pump track up in Valley Center um, and uh, sharing some thoughts there. So I'm always going to have a lot more, you know, my studio content I'm sharing here on YouTube and on on all of the popular podcast platforms like like iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. But on my Facebook 
John Riley Project Insiders Group, I have bonus content, and that's usually when I'm out and about and uh, sharing thoughts. Sometimes it's me driving around in my car. Sometimes it's me, you know, on some adventure. So I invite you to come and find me there. The, if you just look for John Riley Project Insiders Group, ask for permission to join. Hey, I'll approve you. Come on in and let's have a conversation there. All right. So let's get into... This whole thing. So Kevin Acey, you know, the, the beat writer for the San Diego Union Tribune that covers the Padres, he published an article uh, on January 19th, and the title of it was, The Look at the Padres Books Shows Debt Reduction Has Team in a Position to Spend. And oh my God, the reaction that has been flooding from this article, reaction in the national media, reaction in social media, reaction in Padres Twitter. I mean, there's there's anger, there's frustration, there's um, people just upset at the owners, upset at the history of the Padres, They're, people feel betrayed. I mean, it's just insane. But what I do like is the fact that there's so much emotion and there's so much desire for a winning team in San Diego. So love the emotion, love wearing the heart on, the, on your sleeve, but come on, people, Relax, relax, okay? I mean, let's go through this on a number of different levels. And I mean, we can look at it from the point of view of an owner. We can look at it from the point of view of the fan. We can look at it from the point of view of the manager. So let's kind of look at it from these different perspectives. So from the point of view of the owner, okay, so Ron Fowler, uh, it's Peter Seidler, right? And uh, and and the whole and he's got the whole group of owners that are there. But those are the two guys that are on the face of the of the franchise. You know, there's a lot of people that just get angry with them, and they believe that it, it's funny. Is like a lot of people believe that they can spend other people's money better than the people with the money can spend it. You know, which don't get me on a political rant, but that's all all about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the progressives that are kind of doing the same thing. But in this particular case, we've got an ownership group that's that's in charge. And it's like people are so passionate, they almost believe like the fans believe that they own the team. You know, they think of it as a community trust. And I love that enthusiasm. But, you know, these are owners. I mean, I'm a business owner, so I'm always thinking about how do I make my my organization profitable, sustainable, long term sustainable, and that's what that's what these business owners are doing. That's what Fowler was talking about. And he was talking about paying down debt, and you know when John Morris had the the team, and you know there was a whole bunch of chaos. He was going through the divorce, and you know there was the whole uh, downturn in the economy that had happened. You know prior to that, so the team had an enormous amount of debt. And of course, Fowler and the group, they knew about the debt. Of course, the team was priced accordingly, but still that debt exists. And I could tell you as a business owner, excessive debt is crushing. It can partially paralyze a business because it's this big nut that you've always got to knock down every month. And you know, until you are free of that debt, do you feel like you have the independence to actually begin making decisions in a proactive manner rather than a reactive manner. So 
Fowler's had to dig out of this debt. And as a business owner, I'm sympathetic to that because I've gone through that and I've dug out and it's hard and it's difficult, but it's so necessary. And so he's knocking down his high interest debt. And I think that's a smart move because, you know, as fans, we get frustrated and we're like, go out and sign Harper, sign Machado, spend money, do this, do that. Well, these guys are trying to build a long-term sustainable franchise which is in their own best interest as an ownership group so they can have some valuable asset that they can sell down the road. And the asset is growing in value, but it's in their best interest to have a long-term play here. So when they're trying to knock down debt, I don't fault them for that. Now, obviously they got to be able to chew gum and walk at the same time, and they've got to make necessary investments in the organization. But you know, I don't, I don't begrudge them for that. And other people are begrudging the ownership for taking some cash out, you know, and, Come on, you know, I mean, they're owners. They, they want to see a, a revenue stream for themselves personally. I don't begrudge them for that either. So it's not like if, if the team wasn't making the investments in the minor league system and wasn't spending um, on some free agents and we can, we're going to break this down, then yeah, but they're trying, okay? And they're making some moves. But at the same time, we have to understand that it, it's not just – uh, a community co-op. It's it, this is a business. It's a multi-million dollar. It's a the, well, the franchise is worth over one billion dollars. I mean, that's even more than the Poway School Bond. Um, so it's a worth a lot of money. And so these guys are trying to manage a business, and I I don't give them grief for that. Um, you know, and then look at look at the track record of Fowler and Seedler. You know, some people are distrustful of them. But think about, look what Fowler has done in this community. The baseball stadium at the University of San Diego, it's named after him. And there are other buildings at San Diego State are named after him. The guy has done a tremendous work as a philanthropist in the community. And you get Peter Seidler, who has been working on the homelessness crisis in San Diego. And, you know, my last podcast, we went through Kevin Faulkner's State of the City address and talked about homelessness. So these guys guys, they're trying to do the right thing in the community. It's just that as fans, we just need to relax. Um, because this ownership group, in my opinion, and actually Ben Higgins said it today on the Mighty 1090, that this is perhaps the best ownership group that has ever existed with the Padres. And he said, well, albeit that's a pretty low bar. True. I mean, Ray Kroc, you know, love the guy. We had our first success with Ray Kroc. He was loaded with money, but look what he did. He spent big money in the 70s on Raleigh Fingers and Gene Tennis and Goose Gossage. And, you know, by the time the Padres got to the World Series in 84, a lot of those guys were gone. Um, you know, Fingers and Tennis weren't even on the team, you know, and it was the young guys like Gwynn and Wiggins um, that were instrumental on that team being successful. So I think what... I think what we're learning here is, is that the ownership group now appears to be making good choices. I mean, even look at the ownership group in the 90s, and that's when the Padres had success. They went to the playoffs and the World Series. Um, that was the Lucchino, Tom Warner group. But what they did is they did a lot of, they made a great trade with Houston when they got Caminiti and Finley, and they gave up, who, Derek Bell and... Anduhar Sedeno, and you know that worked out to be a good deal. They signed Greg Vaughn, but a lot of that was just movement on the surface with the major league team. The minor league team or minor league system still was a joke. It still had no, you know, significant contributions because they were always trading away those minor leaguers, and. 
as a result, they got a couple of great years, but then in, as soon as the World Series was over in 1998, which by the way, led to Prop C in the building of Petco. So again, that probably a strategy there. We get to 99 and what happens? It's a fire sale. You know, Kevin Brown is, is let go as a free agent. Um, Steve Finley is let go. Is let go. Uh, Cam and Itty, um, I don't know, was he released after that or was that when he got into some of his challenges? I don't remember the history, but a lot of those great players in 98, they were gone in 99. So it was just sort of a flash in the pan. It wasn't sustainable. Okay, then Moores gets involved and still kind of the same thing, you know, and a lot of just terrible draft picks like Matt Bush, for God's sake. Um and uh, you know, trading away Adrian Gonzalez. So that ownership group, even though they had some success, they made the playoffs, but that was when the National League West was awful. I think the Padres are two games over 500 and won the division. And then you get to the Morad era, and it's even worse. I mean, the team was being paid for on a layaway plan. They weren't making the necessary investments. For God's sake, they drafted... Um, Johnny Football, or, or <laughs> that was, or John, or who who did that? Maybe that was Mike. Uh, that was a. Uh uh, you know, D when he was the president, but there's just been a history of just ridiculous, silly things where the team hasn't made the necessary investments. This team is finally doing it, and and we're going to get into that. So, but I think the reaction from the community, you know, the betrayal, the the grief, the frustration. It, I talk about the San Diego sports curse all the time because this is a real deal. I mean, we can go back and. Again, I, I need to do a podcast just on the San Diego sports curse, and we can go through the Holy Roller and the Clippers and and the Padres and and um, I mean the Aztecs and Kemba Walker when they played UConn and Jamal Franklin took the bait. And I mean, we can go down. There's a huge list of things, and so San Diego sports fans are frustrated. I get it, but I think that frustration has turned into almost an infection where it's almost, I don't know, kind of, it's trendy to criticize the local team. I mean, even when the Chargers were here and the Chargers were doing great, there was always a faction of people in San Diego that were anti-Charger fans. It was like it was cool to be against the Chargers and they embraced the Raiders. It was weird. And so... Well, maybe it wasn't weird. Maybe they knew more than we did when we were rooting for the Chargers back then because look what happened. But there's always been this sort of, I don't know, it, it's just cool or trendy to to to, to not be a, a local fan. And so we're seeing more of this complaining. And it's like if the Padres spend a lot, people bitch. If people the Padres don't spend a lot, people bitch. You know, And sure, they don't get the results they want, but you figure – this ownership group, I think they're finally doing the right thing. I mean, it's like they actually have a plan. I mean, for how long have we gone where it was wheeling and dealing and Kevin Towers pulling guys out of the trash bin and getting lucky with the Heath Bell here or, you know, um, it's just been a haphazard approach, um, usually because the team has not had really good ownership. But now the team made that you know, big splash in 2015 with, you know, Kemp and Upton and Kimbrell and Shields and and it didn't work. And I think that's what we're learning. And I think other owners around the league are learning this. I think, you know, the analytics movement in baseball is teaching us this, that spending huge money on these free agents might satisfy the fans, 
but it doesn't show a return on investment. I mean, even Fowler said they spent $40 million in additional payroll in 2015, and they only got $15 million in revenue from attendance as a result of it. So the numbers don't always add up. But now they're actually doing the right thing. They have a plan. They've invested in the minor league system, which is what they should have done all along, so that they can have a... You know, they talk, talk about waves of talent so they can have a consistent stream of quality guys coming up. They invested $80 million in one year in international signings. It's incredible. They, they not only spent about $40 million on you know, player signings, but they paid an additional $40 million roughly in, um, in penalties. And they did that right before there was a cap on international free agent signing. It was a smart move. And it stocked up the farm system. And now the Padres have the best farm system in the, in the country. And you got to think, we've got a plan. Okay. So patience, relax, let the, the babies incubate, okay, until we can start to show uh, grass shoots and see some of the sprouting. And we already are. If you're not watching the highlights of Fernando Tatis in the, in the, um, in the Winter League, oh, my God. I mean, so we, we've, got, we've got something coming. So hang in there. Um, you know, and, and they talk about it as hot talent lava. And I, okay, I'm buying in on this because I think it's finally the right way. Um, but like, look at look at the old way. Okay, what we've done as a as a team. I say we again here. I'm thinking of as though it's a community trust. Look at what the Padres have done historically. They've often given away young talent. Like, look at Corey Kluber. He was in our system. They trade him away for. Um, who was the guy that we got? It was like kind of a lumbering left fielder that could hit some home runs. And he lasted, what, like a half a year, you know, maybe a full season, and he was gone. And Kluber goes to the Indians, turns into a two-time Cy Young Award winner. Who else? We had John Freeze, and we traded him. And I think we traded him for Edmonds, you know, Jim Edmonds, who was like over the hill with the St. Louis Cardinals. Freeze was in our single-A system. I remember I saw him that year at, um, at Lake Elsinore. Freeze then gets traded, and he goes to the Cardinals. He becomes a World Series MVP. We get Edmonds. Edmonds stinks. And then Edmonds is released, goes back to St. Louis, and suddenly revises, revives his career for a year. More of the San Diego sports curse. So we've often have traded away our young talent, gotten these older guys, you know, these major leaguers that just weren't worth the investment, our teams suffer. The teams that receive those players, the Indians, the Cardinals, they've gone to the World Series. They've been a consistent player, teams in the playoffs uh, because they've made those kinds of smart trades. And then we even have other players that, you know, they incubate with the Padres. And then when they're young, we trade them off. And I mean, you know the list and we can go down it. Ozzie Smith, Dave Winfield, Adrian Gonzalez, Steve Finley. Um, and then, heck, even recently, Anthony Rizzo. And then there's McGriff and Roberto Alomar Jr., who's in the Hall of Fame, and Gary Sheffield. And, you know, we don't have the patience to stick with these guys. And then the owners are always trying to shoestring it. Well, the owners now, what they're trying to do is to get out of that position so they don't have to shoestring it. By paying down debt, having a sustainable business model, it makes sense. I mean, we've been waiting how many years for a good team in San Diego? I mean, I've been a fan of the team since the mid-80s when I moved here. Um, 
And if I have to wait a couple more years, I'll, I'll wait. I just want them to finally get it right. And so um, when people are, are complaining about the current ownership paying down debt, I'm thinking, what are you doing? That's the right thing to do so they can be better positioned for a long-term plan. And then people are complaining about, you know, A.J. Preller. Oh, he hasn't drafted anyone good. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell? I mean, Mackenzie Gore is one of the most coveted pitching prospects in all of baseball. That was a first-round draft pick a few years ago. So Preller has made a lot of good deals. And then people are saying, yeah, but how many, how often can you, have you seen homegrown Padre talent come up and play well? I'm thinking, well, yeah. I mean, the Padres have drafted some players that haven't been successful, like Donovan Tate. Well, that was a huge bust. Matt Bush, well, Matt, to his credit, has revived his career with Texas. So good for you, Matt. But Matt, when you, when he was young with the Padres, he, he was a bust. And then, I mean, even Corey Spangenberg, a first-round draft pick, um, never has panned out. We, we released him. Um, and Travis Jankowski, love the guy, but he's really kind of a fourth outfielder. But these weren't draft picks of A.J. Preller. So why are we complaining about A.J. Preller, about draft picks, and using you know previous GM's picks as evidence? I mean, it's almost like you know they say you, you shouldn't be responsible for the sins of your fathers. So, um, and I don't know. Look at look at the other teams in the National League West that have been successful. And every other team in the National League West has been successful to some degree over the last 10 years um, because they've all made the playoffs at various times. I mean, the, the Giants have had Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner, Brandon Crawford. These are all homegrown talent. Okay, they've invested in their minor league system. Now, granted, the Giants minor league system isn't what it used to be, but they had success not because they signed giant free agents as their core. Their core was always the young talent. Um, look at the Dodgers. I mean, Cody Bellinger, Clayton Kershaw, Justin Turner, Kenley Jansen, again, homegrown talent. You know, And then they supplement that and they add free agents around it. But the signing of the free agent isn't the core person in, on the team. And the, the Cardinals, Goldschmidt, uh, Lamb, Peralta, Pollock, the Rockies, Arenado, Blackman, LeMahieu. Um, those are the players that have come up through their system and have made those teams solid. In some cases, have made them playoff contenders or World Series champions. Look at the Padres. The Padres team, When we're going to go through the roster in a moment, but virtually none of them have been homegrown talent. Now, we're going to start to see that this year, but in previous years, it's always been guys wheeling and dealing, scrap heap, you know, trying to catch lightning in a bottle with a guy that's maybe on the downside of his career they're hoping to revive. The, these are all band-aids, all patchwork. The right way to do it is to invest in the minor league system and have patience to let the grass grow. And so that's what they're doing. And, you know, right now everyone is saying you need to sign Machado. And yeah, Machado, I, I've called for it. I think Machado would be a great fit for the Padres. Um, you know, can the can the organization afford it financially? Maybe. Um, does the organization want to sign up on an eight year deal, a ten year deal? That's a big nut, you know. And Fowler is already gun shy about debt, so he's probably going to be apprehensive about it. Machado could be a good fit because the Padres need a third baseman, and we'll, we're going to go through the lineup in a sec. Um, 
But you know, I was just doing some math, and this is interesting to think of it this way. If Machado is going to make $30 million a year, and let's assume that the average ticket price for the Padres is 25 bucks, which I looked it up. That sounds about right. And I know that seems low, but there's a lot of inexpensive seats that are in the stadium. And if you average out all the st- uh, seats in the stadium, it's around $25. Uh, so they would need to sell... 15,000 more seats a game at $25 each for an eight, for 81 home games in order to pay for a $30 million a year player. That's incredible. I mean, you never think of it in those terms. So I think it's wise for the organization to be careful when they're about to commit to a giant wad of money. On the surface, Machado seems like a great fit. Financially, I'm not privy to the inside game on this. It would be wonderful if they could sign him and have him supplement all of our hot talent lava that are coming up. That could be a good situation. Does it pencil out? I don't know. Um, but let's let's look. Let's go through the roster t- uh, position by position. And you know, people love complaining about the the team. And we'll we'll start. Let's let's start with the pitching staff, okay? And you know, we'll go one through nine, just like on a scorebook. And the Padres need a number one starter. Obviously, I mean. Who was their number one starter last year? Clayton Richard. Okay, obviously he's gone. And we, who do they've got? They've got Lucchese. They've got Lauer. Um, they've got, you know, Nix that they're hoping is going to turn into something. Um, you know, Brian Mitchell, who was awful in the beginning of the year, um, but had a really good September. Maybe Brian Mitchell can be that player um, and and be a contributor in the starting rotation. Um there's some other guys that are in there. I think, you know, Brett Kennedy, who was, you know, had a great AAA season, never really been a highly thought of prospect. Could he be serviceable? Maybe. But really, the Padres need to go find a number one starter, um, like a Cindergaard, like a uh, Stroman. And they, they've been, you know, you, they've been in a lot of rumors there. That's clearly a weakness. But I think if they have a number one starter, you got Lucchese and Lauer, and then, you know, those, those final spots in the rotation – could be Knicks, could be Mitchell, but then you've got you know guys coming up. You've got Chris Paddock, who sounds like he could be a tremendous pitcher, who, by the way, we got in a trade. I think we traded Fernando Rodney and got him. So that was a good deal that Preller made. There's Cal Quantrill, who I know hasn't been as successful in the minors that we all hoped, but he was still a great pitcher at Stanford. He is deserving of a shot um, at the major league level. Um, Logan Allen, who got in the trade for Kimbrell with the Red Sox, Logan Allen has been very good in the minors. So I think we're going to see these guys come up in the rotation. So, you know, plus you've got, you know, like I said, Kennedy and there's a few other guys that are in the mix. So hopefully you've got like eight or nine guys that will sort out to five. You know, some guys will get hurt. Some guys might get have to bounce down uh, to the AAA level, but they may come up. And then as you get deeper into the season, we may begin to see, hopefully, uh, Lamette, Denilson Lamette, and maybe even Garrett Richards, who was just signed. Those guys potentially could maybe be available August, September. So the Padres need one really good starter. Um, and then they can make the rest work with that guy. And then uh, there, there's way more talent in the lower minors. We'll see Mackenzie Gore and Weathers and Baez and Patino. And I mean, the future for our pitching staff is legit. I mean, even when John Maffey was here on the John Riley Project, he talked about how you know he thinks maybe the position players might be a bit overhyped, but he says the pitching is real. And so 
I think if we just get a, one veteran number one guy to hold us over, I think we're going to be in a good position to see that hot talent lava come up. Okay, then there's there's catcher. Austin Hedges, obviously fantastic defensively. He's always been disappointing offensively, but his second half last year was really, really good. I mean, he was one of the top catchers in all of baseball in the second half of the season in terms of batting average, you know, um, you know, power numbers, on-base percentage. So there's hope that maybe he's going to turn the corner. And remember, when he was in AAA, he was like a triple crown threat. Now, granted, that's AAA, but the point is, is that he has offensive capability. He's not going to be you know, a Mike Piazza. Um, but he can be a heck of a lot better than we've seen from him. And then you've got Mejia, you know, who you see Mejia swing the bat. He's got a bat speed like Gary Sheffield. Um, he has, he's the top catching prospect that, you know, for the last couple of years in Major League Baseball. Mejia's presence, I think, is going to push Hedges. And it's going to make Hedges really fight for, you know, being a better player. And those two guys will probably platoon because no catcher catches more than 120 games a year. So you figure those two guys can work together. Now, maybe Preller trades one of them. That's possible. But I think our catching situation is trending up. I think it's a good situation. Now, you go to first base and Eric Hosmer and, you know, love the guy personally. He had a down year offensively. Um, but really, I mean, he had the worst year of his career last year. So you figure he's got nowhere to go but up next season. We can question that signing. Would Will Myers have been better staying at first? Sure. Uh, but you th people, I think, signed they signed Hosmer, I think, largely because of his leadership and his personality and the positive influence he can have on this young talent coming up. So that makes sense to a degree. It created some confusion in the roster. But right now, it's... it's um, you know, it's spent money. So you figure you got to stick with Hosmer and you're going to hope for better things from him. Second base is, is, well, not initially, not to start the season, but when we get into the season, it's going to be Urias at second. He's been one of the top second base prospects for the last couple of years. He's a rookie of the year candidate in 2019. He should be a very good player. Hopefully he'll hit around 300. He'll have some good on-base percentage. He's supposed to be a very selective uh, batter at the plate. So he's going to take walks, which is what you want at the top of the order. He's a very good defensive second baseman. We saw flashes of that at the end of the 2018 season. Now, granted, he's going to probably be opening day at shortstop because Tatis isn't going to come up right away, but he's really the second baseman. Then of course, at shortstop, it'll be Tatis. And uh, I mean, the highlights in, in the winter ball have been just fantastic. Not only is he crushing the ball, but the personality and the enthusiasm of, of Latin baseball is wonderful. And so I'm hoping he brings that to the Padres. So there's some excitement um, when, when he's playing ball and defensively he's been making plays and love that. And then third base is the hole. Okay. Third base is the problem. And, you know, Myers, that experiment was over. I, I was optimistic that Myers could figure it out, but okay, they cut bait on that, which is fine. So they've got a, they're, apparently they're trying to deal for a third baseman. You know, there's the, um, what's the guy's name? Senzel. I think he's a, a top prospect with the Reds. Um, there's uh, another guy with the Yankees they've been talking about. So they're trying to get another sort of high upside prospect to fill in at third. But if that doesn't work, they're probably going to sign Moustakis. I think that's what everyone's been saying. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens with Machado. And whoever Machado signs with, 
Um, now, granted, he could sign with the Padres, and that could solve that problem. But if Machado signs with the Phillies and the Phillies um, third baseman uh, could become free, if Machado signs with the Yankees, then the third baseman for the Yankees could free up. So there's a lot of possibilities. Um, I think we're going to see this sort out in the next month. But third base is a problem. So, I mean, really, those are the two big positions, third base and a number one starter. But then you go to the outfield, and they've got six guys, and they're vying for three spots. So you've got basically three guys that can play center field. you got Manuel Margot, Travis Jankowski, and Franchi Cordero. And Margot, when he was a key part of that Kimbrel trade, he's got huge upside. He's been a coveted prospect for a long time. He's shown flashes that he can put it all together, but this year is make or break. He's got to put up or shut up. But the good news is, is that we've got six outfielders. And if Margot can't do it, well, we could put Jankowski out there, who's going to play outstanding defense, who's going to get on base, going to cause havoc on the bases. He needs to bring his batting average up. And then if, if, if we say, okay, you know, not Jankowski, he's really a fourth outfielder, defensive replacement, pinch runner guy. We could put Cordero out there, who showed huge power uh, for a hitter. Now, granted, he's coming back from uh, elbow surgery, but he should be healthy for spring training. And, you know, defensively, he's not as good as Jankowski or Margot, but the dude can hit the ball. So there's there's three possibilities in center field, and hopefully one of them hits. You know, I mean, hits. I mean, in terms of has a, you know, we, we pull the slot machine and we get a jackpot, one out of three. Come on. And then in the corners, you got three guys battling for two spots. So there's Will Myers, who I love the guy. I know he's got to mature uh, mentally, you know, and I think physically the guy is a specimen. Mentally, he's got to figure it out. And I think that comes with maturity. Hopefully this is a big year for him and he can figure it out. And by just putting him in the outfield, he can minimize some of the noise in his mind with third base and just focus. But... Renfro showed huge improvement. He was taking pitches. He was getting better on-base percentage. Renfro is a 30-home run guy. Um, We saw him put balls up onto the top of the Western Metal Supply Building. Then there's Framil Reyes, who everyone's fired up about. And this guy, you know, just made great adjustments as a hitter, had huge power, um, was able to go the other way and get on base. Now, granted, Framil is kind of a big lumbering guy. Plays a little bit better defensively than you think he would. Um, But, you know, so there's a lot of possibilities. The Padres could trade some of that outfield surplus to try to get a number one starter, to try to get a third baseman. Maybe they package some of their hot talent lava. I mean, they could get rid of a couple of prospects and still have a huge minor league system with great depth. They've got to give up something to get something. So there's still a possibility they can make a trade. But notice that Preller has not been overly anxious to make the bad deal. That's what the Padres have often done. I mean, when they um, traded away Adrian Gonzalez to the Red Sox, it was almost like they were resigned and they said, okay, I guess this is the best we're going to get. And they and they took it. Um, Preller is saying, let's hold on to talent, acquire talent. And it, even if it means I've got six outfielders and two really good catchers, but I got a hole at the, at the tar- start of the, um, at the top of the order and I got a hole at third, That's okay for now because we're in this transitionary phase and we're trying to amass talent and we're doing that. Now we've just got to get all the puzzle pieces aligned. So 
you know, granted, I'm always the Padre optimist. I admit that. But I finally believe that we have hope. There's a plan. And so I think we just have to be patient. You know, we can't be blaming the owners and A.J. Preller for the sins of the past, for the San Diego sports curse that we've been enduring for decades with other owners and previous GMs. Um, We finally have a good plan in place. So patience is what we need. Now, there's been a lot of chatter, people, you know, complaining about Andy Green and Larry Schuler. I know you have been one of those guys. I mean, let's be real. The Padres need talent on the field. That's the issue. Does a manager make a difference? Sure. Can the management, uh, can a manager set the tone uh, for the team? Can the manager dictate the strategy? Can the manager make better defensive substitutions, better pitching substitutions? Sure. But a manager is only going to move the needle maybe three or four games a year at the most. I mean, the Padres won less than 70 games last year, didn't they? I think it was like 60-something games. So we need to go a long way in terms of getting talent organized before we're going to start, I think, start switching up managers. The Padres have always been too quick to not stick with a plan and they keep hitting the eject button and then we end up not having continuity. So if you want to get a new manager in, then you have to start all over. But now we finally got a, a GM and a manager executing a plan. They've got, they've built a staff, just let that mature and let it grow. You know, I, people are upset with um, um, Andy Green about the the Rizzo slide into Hedges. And yeah, that was a BS move by Rizzo. But the people thought that, you know, Green should have retaliated and thrown beanballs at Rizzo and kind of made a war out of it. And I'm thinking, come on, you know, that's like, you know, that's that's like a little itty bitty nation picking on the United States. Um, if you want the Padres to try to start a war with the world series champs. Um, so you got to pick your battles. That's not the one to pick. The right battle is to just look within yourself and get better. And that's John Wooden for you right there is just focus on you to get better. So, uh, people have been saying, well, yeah, look at Bochi. He went to the giants. He turned them into a major league, uh, world series champ. And, but yeah, but he had Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner and Brandon Crawford, and he had a good team. He had talent, you know. And when he, when Bochi was the manager of the Padres, when the Padres had some talent, he did well. But when they had no talent, he, he, he Bochi isn't going to hit a home run. Bochi isn't going to throw a no hitter. So you know, when you evaluate a manager, you have to consider the talent that they're working with. People are saying, oh, yeah, Green, he's got no experience. He's in over his head. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. He's got many years experience as a manager in the minor leagues. He was a third base coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was highly coveted by a lot of teams for the managerial role. The guy is smart. He's articulate. He's making moves. He's trying to be creative and innovative with the talent that he has. And I'll give him credit for that. So, again, just be patient. I mean, we've... We've gone through this process where you get three years into a plan, you get antsy, and then you blow it up. And then you got to start over again. So just stick with the plan. Um, So I just think continuity is really important. And a lot of people are saying, well, I'm done with the Padres. A lot of people like on Padres Twitter were throwing in the towel and they say, I'm done with them. Well, fine. You know, if you're done with them, then fine. Don't give them any money. 
You know, if you don't want to follow them, fine. I, I threw in the towel with the Chargers. When the Chargers moved out of San Diego, I said, c'est la vie. You know, I was done with them. Um, if you want to do that with the Padres, fine. I'm sticking with them. You know, for me, it's kind of like, you know, it's like you're loyal to your wife, you know, and, and you want to just stick with your wife through thick and thin, sickness and health. And we've got a plan in place and we're going to make it work, you know. So I think that's what we need to do with the Padres. So just be patient. Let the plan mature. All right. Um, yeah, but the reaction. Huh? I, I was having ongoing conversation in Twitter and Facebook with a lot of other passionate fans. I love the passion. But just be patient. Um, all right. So, um, hey, I want to put this out there. You know, John Riley Project, this is my podcast project, and I want to do more um, interviews. You know, we had John Maffey in here last week. Boy, he was great. Talked about um, his experience when he, you know, was at the sports arena, you know, kind of a crazy story right before John Wooden arrived for the 1975 uh, Final Four. And we got into stories about him hanging out with Kevin Towers and Billy Bean and Tony Gwynn. And what a great interview that was. And John, love you. Love the work you do. Um, I'm looking forward to having more guests um, on the John Riley Project. So I'll put this out to the audience. If you know anyone that would like to be a guest, or maybe you would like to be a guest and have a conversation, maybe you're a Padre super fan and you think differently. You think we need to get rid of green. We need to trade all these players. We need to get new owners. Well, if that's what you believe, come on and join me. We'll have a sit-down conversation. We'll go through it. You know, we both love the team. We both want what's best for the team. Maybe we have different thoughts on it. So if you want to be a guest, reach out to me on Twitter. John Riley Poway is my handle. Go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. There you can find all my other social media links. You can fill out a form and send me a note. Um, but we'd love to have more guests and more feedback on this podcast. Okay, so now we're going to get into the segment. This is, I'm starting to do this segment more, and I'm calling it The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And so, uh, The Good. Hey, congratulations to the Poway High School boys basketball team. They're ranked number nine in San Diego County, 18 and five overall, 3 and 0 in Palomar League play. Big win over Rancho Bernardo. And who, who else but Adam Severe, that crafty, sneaky point guard who sets up the big man down low and also can can a three-pointer from Steph Curry range. Um, dude had 18 points in the big win over RB. They won 60-38 to 38 over Ranch Bernardo. Way to go, Poway. So Adam Severe had a great game. Cole Stevens, um, a sophomore, six foot nine. This kid, he had um, ten points, six rebounds, and a block. And Cole Stevens, we see him out on the baseball field. He's a pitcher and a first baseman. He had a cup of coffee with uh, varsity last year, so I would expect that he'll be playing varsity ball this year. So world of potential for that guy on the baseball field. Uh, for Poway, Quinn Johnson, nine points, five rebounds. That was a great game. He's another baseball player. He's a middle infielder. Um, Tanner Swindoll for Poway, four points, eight rebounds, one block. And then the Shepherd brothers, and it's funny, their, their, their uh, stats were almost a, what's the word, a transposition. So Lucas Shepard, four, four points and six rebounds, but Logan Shepard, six points and four rebounds. So Way to go, Poway. Great game out there. And then the girls, hey, 3-0 in Palomar League play. They had a big victory over Rancho Bernardo last Friday, 38-31. Colby Neal with 20 points. That's more than half the points for the Poway girls basketball team. So way to go. And then also in the good column, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but Tom Brady. 
Um, Tom Brady, man, remember when you first came on the scene when Drew Bledsoe like blew out his knee and everyone's like joking, oh, the Brady Bunch and all this. And, and you know, he was a lightly recruited guy and and he took the team to the Super Bowl like in his first or second year. And you're thinking, oh, feel good story. And then all of a sudden, I mean, he's going to his ninth Super Bowl. And I've gone from curiosity with Tom Brady. I mean, after all, he went to Sarah High School in San Mateo. And I, I went to a Catholic school first through eighth grade to Our Lady of Angels in Burlingame. And if I had gone to a uh, a uh, Catholic school. I would have gone to Sarah High. Uh, I ended up going to Mills High in, in Millbrae uh, to a public school. But so anyway, Sarah High has always been a school of interest. That's where Barry Bonds went, Lynn Swan, Tom Brady. So he he went from being this curiosity, this you know young kid do-gooder, to being successful, to suddenly being almost too successful. You know, he became the guy everyone loved to hate because he was MVP, World Series champion, married to a supermodel, making big money. There was never a problem with this guy. And then everyone got angry with him, deflate gate and, and all that. And, and I've ridden this roller coaster, but now I just got to give it up. I figured Tom Brady, man, I was a Joe Montana fan growing up. Joe Montana was God to me. No football player could ever be better than Joe Montana. Well, there's a new God, and it's Tom Brady, and he's got to give it up to the guy. So he's in the good column. The bad, uh, there's a couple of nuggets here. Phil Mickelson not going to be at Torrey Pines this year. He's been there for 29 straight years, and I was doing the math. I figure, when was his first year? He probably, as he was 19 or 20 years old, I'm not sure how old he is. So Mickelson's, I guess he's around my age. You know, he's probably in his, you know, early to mid 50s. I don't know. Uh, but he won't be at Torrey Pines. That's a bummer. Also in the bag column, the Milwaukee Brewers are renaming their ballpark. They used to always be called Miller Park, which was perfect. This is where they make Miller beer. Um, and they're the Brewers and Miller and Brewers. It was just too perfect. And then in 2020, they're going to become the American Family Insurance Stadium. And I'm like, okay, well, the owners need money to pay for these players. I hear you. That's too bad, though. They're no longer the Miller Park. I guess this year will be their last year as Miller Park. And also in the bad, um, I talked about this on, on my private Facebook group, the John Riley Project Insiders Group, where you can join. You just got to go out there and request. It's a private group. Um, I did a live remote from the Crow's Nest BMX Park. And I have this in the bag column. I, I've been looking for a BMX pump track, which is like a miniature BMX track where you can ride and you almost don't have to pedal. You can actually pump as you ride and use sort of your body rhythm to move around the, uh, around the track, around the berms and over the jumps. And they've got a new one that's about to open in Carmel Valley that I'm going to check out, but it's been closed off. I think it's going to open up like in March. But this, um, I looked this one up on the internet, Crow's Nest. I got out there. It was, you know, the rains had washed a, a lot of it up. There was puddles. There were some people that had trashed there. The area was closed off. But the track is actually salvageable. It's in some pretty good shape. So when it dries out a little bit more, I may go back out there, do some riding, kind of, I, I think it's technically illegal, but I can sneak up there, have a little bit of fun, and maybe I'll do another live remote broadcast. So it was kind of bummed that it was in the shape that it's in, but it's it, with just a little bit of effort, that could be a really neat facility. So that's up in Valley Center, the uh, Crow's Nest BMX pump track. 
Um, the ugly. All right. We can get into the NFL playoffs and the bad calls and everyone's going crazy about, you know, the the pass interference, the Rams and the Saints. And I'm just thinking, you know, we can complain about all these ref calls, but these teams made mistakes earlier on in the game that those calls shouldn't have been a factor if they had executed their job correctly. So, but still it's terrible when refs miss obvious calls. But the thing that in the ugly column, the thing that always bugs me is the overtime rule in the NFL. I mean, a, a coin toss, you take the ball, you drive down, score a touchdown, game over. And I'm like, come on. I mean, in baseball, you know, each offense gets a turn. You have a top of the 10th inning and a bottom of the 10th inning. College football figured this out. So they have the offense gets a turn and then the defense gets a turn. And they play essentially multiple overtimes like extra innings in baseball until one team wins. I thought that was a great innovation. But even in basketball, they'll play like a five-minute overtime. It's not the first basket that wins. It's they play the full five minutes, and then whoever scores the most at the end of that wins. And if they still are tied, they go play another full five minutes. Um, so that's the way overtime should be, this flipping a coin. And then they make it so complicated. Like, you know, well, if you get the ball and you go down and you kick a field goal, then the other team can get the ball. But if you go down and they score a touchdown, then it's game over. It's like, it's dumb. It's an ugly rule. And then the other part of the ugliness, and, you know, I told you, I'm not as big of an NFL fan as I used to be. So on Sunday, I was sort of half watching the game while I was buzzing around the house, taking care of things and half listening to the game when I was driving around. But Talk about ugly. How did the Kansas City player line up on offsides on the play late in the game when the Kansas City player intercepted the ball and could have sealed the deal and sent the Chiefs to the Super Bowl? And the guy, I mean, it's one thing to jump offsides because you're trying to get to the quarterback or you're mistiming, you know, his uh, his cadence or his call. But to stand in the wrong location and get called for offsides for lining up in the neutral zone. I mean, that's just ugly. Come on. Um and then what else is ugly? The San Diego, or I talk about the San Diego sports curse, but are the Kansas City Chiefs cursed too? I mean, granted this year they finally won a playoff game, but then they end up blowing it. And then it's Andy Reid. And you're thinking, is this Andy Reid? Is he cursed? What's going on? And the Chiefs, I mean, they had some great success, you know, back in, what were they in? They had Super Bowl three or Super Bowl, no, it was four, I think, with Len Dawson and, and, um, Hank Stram and all those guys. But since then, you know, they had a nice flash in the pan when Joe Montana went there in the early 90s. It just seems like the Chiefs, I mean, it must be hell to be a Chiefs fan. And I'm feeling for the fans in Kansas City right now. So um, actually, I was wearing my uh, Kansas City Royals hat on Sunday in solidarity, but just it's, it's ugly. The Chiefs, they've been struggling. Also in the ugly column, and I just was skimming the sports news, and here's two headlines. They were just ugly. Miguel Cabrera, remember he's the ball player for the Detroit Tigers, great ball player. Miguel Cabrera ordered to pay ex-mistress $20,000 a month and pay off her house. I'm like, oh my God. So I didn't even read the article. That The headline was so ugly. And here's the other one. Former NFL running back Darren McFadden, this, he remember he played for the Raiders, Darren McFadden arrested in Texas on a DWI charge after falling asleep in the drive through lane of a fast food uh, uh, restaurant. That's ugly. So come on, guys. Um, so the, yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, what else? Hey, uh, 
thanks for supporting us here on the John Raleigh Project as a viewer or a listener. But if you'd like to be a bigger supporter, hey, go to my website at johnreillyproject.com. If you want to be a sponsor, if you're a business and you like to be a, a sponsor, you can do so. If you like to be a donor and financially contribute, you can do that on my website at johnreillyproject.com or go to my Patreon page uh, where you can be a financial supporter. Um, and then what else? Uh, another story tonight. It's, it should be a good basketball game. San Diego State at Fresno State at eight o'clock. Which Aztec team is going to show up? Now, granted, uh, Jalen McDaniels, he's was just the Mountain West Player of the Week, and he's had three consecutive double doubles. But the rest of the team, it's like they're Jekyll and Hyde. One game they win huge, the next game they lose huge, um, and now they're playing. You know, Fresno State and Justin Hudson, man, big props to Justin Hudson. He's taken essentially his uh, – he's from Bakersfield, but Fresno is the the local big-time D1 program in the, in the San Joaquin Valley. He's taken his local program, and he's made him really right now they're in the number two spot in the Mountain West Conference. And he's taking his intensity, his defensive-mindedness, and he's a great coach. He's getting a great opportunity. There's a really good article in the Union Tribune that Mark Ziegler wrote, and you know he had gone through multiple interviews looking for that opportunity, and for one reason or another, it never panned out. But he kept talking to Steve Fisher, and Fisher, you know, the wise guru on top of the mountain, said to Justin Hudson, "Be patient. Your opportunity will come." So. I need Steve Fisher to go talk to the Padres Twitter. <laughs> Be patient because <laughs> we're on the right track. Justin Hudson was on the right track. He got his opportunity. He's doing great. So this could be an interesting game tonight at 8 o'clock. You know, everyone's saying it's no big deal, but I know Justin Hudson would love to beat his old team, um, even though there's a lot of love there. You know, it's still it's a pride thing. And I'm sure Brian Dutcher would like to do the same, and it's an important Mountain West showdown. So um, the Aztecs have had a full week off of games because they had a bye, and the, uh, the coaching staff gave them a couple of days off of practice so they can go out and do some recruiting. So the team should have fresh legs. They should have a clear mind. Um, so what's that saying from Friday Night Lights? Like um, open eyes, clear mind, big heart. Victory, you know, I'm I'm totally blowing that one. Uh, my wife has that T-shirt, but hopefully the Aztecs have got a clear mind and they can go in and actually have some success because they got to start getting their act together so they can build some momentum into March for the Mountain West Conference. And then my other um, Mountain West Conference team, the New Mexico Lobos, um, they're at UNLV tonight. I mean. New Mexico had that big win over Nevada, and then UNLV came into the pit, and New Mexico just laid a big egg. And so New Mexico's got some revenge here. They need to get back at UNLV, but now they're going to have to do it at Vegas. That's tonight at 7, so I may be flipping back and forth between those games. So um, so what else? You're a viewer. You're a listener. Maybe you really like what we're doing here with the John Riley Project. What can you do? To help us out. Well, the first thing you can do is watch or listen to every episode. You know, I'm always going to be on YouTube. I'm always out there on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and a lot of other. I'm on Google Podcasts. We're on TuneIn. You can always find us. So listen or watch to every episode. And then tell a friend. 
share. You know, I'm putting these episodes out on social media. Follow me on social media. Share some of these. I'm starting to um, work with uh, uh, my my buddy Zeke, who's helping me edit these videos down into like five minute, four minute chunks to make them easier to share. So you're going to start to see those. So share the podcast with others. Tell a friend. Maybe you've got a friend that is into politics, into sports. You know, maybe they're just liberty minded like me because this podcast, it's all about life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And we're talking sports today. For me, that's my pursuit of happiness. So if you want to share the love, please do. That would be a great way to be supportive. But follow me on social media. Go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. Sign up on our email list. Those are great ways that you can help. So here we are. This is the end of the John Riley podcast, uh, John Riley Project Podcast number 30, and this one's an all-sports edition. I'm going to have another one coming out here pretty soon. We're going to be talking more about politics and and uh, the reaction from you know the things out on the National Mall with the kids with the MAGA hats and the Native Americans, and that's been a big thing in the news. So I'm going to have another podcast here shortly commenting on that. But until next time, I leave you with – I always leave you with the words of Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse, but today – I'm leaving you with the wise words of another modern-day philosopher. Well, he wasn't very good at the Republican National Convention, but usually he's pretty good. And that's Clint Eastwood. And he says, sometimes if you want to see a change for the better, you have to take things into your own hands. Right on, Clint. Thank you very much. This is the John Riley Project, episode number 30. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.